I've been in healthcare for 30 years, and I can't think of a more challenging time than the last two years amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. I was just mentally preparing myself for something at some point. I just didn't know it would be so early. And, you know, it's been a time of intense difficulty and stress and complexity for all of us. Hello and welcome to the Permanente Medicine Podcast. I'm Chris Grant, your host and Chief Operating Officer of the Permanente Federation. Today's podcast episode is being recorded remotely so we can follow safe social distancing practices. On this episode, I'm excited to dive into a great discussion about leadership and innovation in medicine with an exceptional Permanente leader, a Federation colleague, and a dear friend. Calling into the show today is Dr. Ramin Davidoff, who serves as the co-CEO of the Permanente Federation and Executive Medical Director and Chair of the Board for the Southern California Permanente Medical Group, a role he took on at the start of 2021. He is also the Chair of the Board and CEO of the Southeast Permanente Medical Group and the Hawaii Permanente Medical Group. Welcome to the show, Dr. Davidoff. It's so great to have you on the line. Thank you, Chris. It's a real privilege to be here with you today. Well, I've had the pleasure of getting to know you over the last couple of years, but many in our audience probably don't know much about you. Let's begin by having you give a little insight into your early years. The story of how your experience has shaped who you are today is one that I find particularly inspiring. And I'd like our audience to hear about this amazing journey. Tell us about your background and unique path to leadership. Well, I'd be delighted to talk about that, Chris. And, you know, this is a story that I love to tell. At the same time, I have to tell you, it's probably not so unique. And there are literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, stories very similar to mine. At least parts of it are very similar to what many, many immigrants have experienced. I was born in Iran, and at about the age of 11, there was a revolution in Iran, and my parents at the time, this was in 1979, decided that a better place for us as a family would be to migrate to the United States. So we came to the United States, and it was really interesting because I found myself landing in a small town called Logan, Utah. And this is where we went because my uncle, my dad's brother, lived there. He was a PhD student at the local university there. And so I just remember as an 11 and a half year old seeing so much snow in February of 79, like I've never seen before. And I didn't realize at the time, but we had landed in a place of opportunity for us. So I give a lot of credit to my parents for that courageous move to move to the United States, have us be in a place where we can study and be educated. And I remember those early years as a teenager in Logan being inspired by my uncle, my dad's brother, whom we shared an apartment with. My family and I, we lived in one bedroom and my uncle and his family lived in the other bedroom in their apartment. And financially, those were very difficult times, as you can imagine, immigrating to the United States. My father didn't have a job. One thing I did have, though, was my uncle continuing to inspire me and showing me that I can accomplish a lot, even under very, very difficult circumstances. And 
he gave me a belief in myself that I really didn't have in myself. And to this day, I continue to talk to him and be inspired by him. It's interesting because now that I work in Kaiser Permanente, 40 some odd years later, he is a member of Kaiser Permanente. So the person who has inspired me to be who I am is someone who gets care in the organization that I love so much. And so those early years were very formative. I remember also being inspired by this TV show called MASH. There was a character in MASH, Hawkeye Pierce, who I really related to. And he was funny and bright and smart and popular. And he was everything that I wanted to be. So he's the reason, actually, I went into medicine and was really inspired by MASH. The thing I remember about Hawkeye is he never gave up. He had such passion for human life and humanity in general, and he never gave up on any of the wounded. And so that was the kind of work ethic that was woven into me in those early years. And I just really wanted to be like Hawkeye. And in my fourth year at UC Irvine Medical School, I did a sub-internship in urology. And that was at the Los Angeles Medical Center in our Kaiser Permanente facility. And right then I knew not only I wanted to become a urologist, but also wanted to practice in Kaiser Permanente. I just fell in love with the hospital, with the people, with the specialty. And then after a six-year residency at the Los Angeles Medical Center, I was fortunate, again, enough to be able to get a job at our Baldwin Park facility here in Southern California, where I practiced urology for about 23 years and enjoyed every bit of it. And I never went into medicine to become an administrator or a leader. I just wanted to be the best physician, the best colleague, the best consultant that I could possibly be. Little by little, I found myself in committees and presenting programs and initiatives. And from there, I ran for the board of directors at representing the Baldwin Park facility. And I was fortunate enough to be elected to that. And then again, really fortunate set of events where I became the assistant area medical director, where I gained a lot of operational experience. So combining that with my governance role on the board of directors, my frontline physician perspective as a practicing physician, as well as my assistant area medical experience, gave me a unique perspective, which I believe prepared me for the role that I'm currently in which I love and enjoy immensely every day. Wow, what a great story. And you're right. It's not unique in that the United States is a wonderful country because of the rich history of immigration. And what you represent is a pathway that many have been on, but you also provide inspiration for what's possible. My father immigrated to the United States in a very similar situation as yours when he was also 10 or 11 years old and spoke very little English. And I have just a whole rich set of stories for him about the difficulties of immigrating at that age and acclimating into society, but also how it shaped him and the values and the work ethic. And so I'm not surprised, Dr. Davidoff, about your ascent in the humbleness of your leadership, of acknowledging all of those bright people surrounding you that you learned from also, I think, is a testament to who you are. You know, I've been in healthcare for 30 years, and I can't think of a more challenging 
time than the last two years amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. And you began your current leadership role as CEO early in the COVID-19 pandemic and at a time of great societal change. What are some of your tools for leading effectively during these challenging times? Thank you, Chris. It's really been a remarkable time. And I knew when I was selected for this position that I'd have to face some form of crisis at one point or another. So I was just mentally preparing myself for something at some point. I just didn't know it would be so early. And, you know, it's been a time of intense difficulty and stress and complexity for all of us, for the entire world, really. And there was no playbook in all those times where I was telling you about my high school and medical school and college and residency experiences. You know, you don't get prepared truly for a pandemic of our lifetime. And I found myself in a situation very early on in my leadership where people were really looking for me and for many leaders to provide a path, for provide a direction at a time of ambiguity and tremendous chaos. And in times of crises, there's tendency for overreaction and doing so instinctively, but that's not really particularly helpful. And also it doesn't help to freeze and do nothing. And so it's really important to find that right balance of acting quickly and rationally and also being willing and courageous enough to ask for help and support when you need it. And I did. I thought it was really important to have a lot of people involved. What we set out to do is to create some flexible plans uh, to communicate frequently and clearly and to lead with compassion and empathy and to reassure people and uh, be responsive to the people's needs. So at the beginning, we didn't have all the information or frankly, in some points, we didn't have resources to do what we needed to do. For example, as you recall, PPE was a big issue in the beginning. We just didn't have enough and we didn't have enough information. So it was important to act quickly and deliberately. We set up a regional command center and worked with teams and area leaders and empowered them to make decisions. And then we also decided to assess frequently and gather input and formulate our plans and move forward and also to monitor and adjust and be ready and willing to pivot if things weren't going the way we thought they should. A huge part of this was, as I said earlier, is to communicate often and clearly with honesty and being very open. And it's also important to develop a communication routine and stick with it. So it was something that our people depended on. They looked forward to the town halls. They looked forward to the emails and the newsletters. We communicated a short-term plan and a long-term vision and continued to give hope and try to reassure people that there was progress. And it was also important to point out that communication is two ways. It's really important to listen to what people have to say. And also, it's also really important to be acutely aware of what they are not saying. And what they were not saying often had to do with their anxieties and fears and concerns about their own health and the health of their family members and also the health of the patients that they were taking care of. People really are and were stressed and it was important for us to be there for them. And that's where another aspect of what I've learned over the last 18 months comes into play and that's compassion. We're living through extremely difficult times Kindness and caring has never been more important. 
this situation with COVID and the societal issues that have been plaguing our country and our society are really mentally, emotionally, and physically draining. And as you make the decisions that we have to make deliberately and rapidly, you have to take the needs of the people into consideration. And as we try to make the right decision for the specific situation, by gathering input, by seeking input, I believe you inspire confidence. I believe that honesty provides a psychologically safe condition for people to be able to operate during intense crises. And well, all else fails, really, you got to follow your values. And my values have always been, for me, listening and empathy and respect and transparency and do the best that I can to hold on to those and act with integrity. So many, many things that we've learned, the crisis, the pandemic has been incredibly intense, incredibly difficult. I can tell you we've had a very, very stressful several months. And at the same time, there's a lot of learning, a lot of silver linings and I hope that we all learn. I know I have learned and continue to grow as a result of it and be prepared for future pandemics or crises that will affect our profession, the healthcare industry, as well as our society in general. If our listeners could see me, they would see me smiling. And you started our conversation today talking about Hawkeye Pierce, the MASH character, which, by the way, dates both you and I and was also an inspiration to me. And as I listened to your words about honesty, compassion, listening, following your heart, empathy, those were all many of the characteristics that that, that character, Hawkeye, demonstrated. And I think you're right. I think COVID is, in fact, a bit of, of a battlefield experience and showing up in a calm, balanced, communicative empathetic, compassionate, and decisive way is incredibly important. And those are all characteristics that I've seen in you. You use the language silver lining, and that's something that I often say because I try to find the good in the challenging times because I believe in every crisis situation there are things to learn and there are profound changes that are beneficial. We have witnessed many profound changes in the medical field and across society during COVID-19. One silver lining is how it's accelerated innovation in care. In your view, how's the pandemic accelerated innovation over the last year and a half? Well, the level of innovation to adapt to changing circumstances this past year has been remarkable. And much of it has had to do with necessity. We had to change. At the same time, there are many, many, many sustainable aspects of this innovation and change that will stay with us forever. At the peak of the pandemic, we were providing more than 80% of our patient appointments using virtual visits. And that was never the case even two years ago. And right. virtual visits were through phone visits, video visits, chats. We realized that the venues of care have changed forever. And using these technologies also provided additional insights that have enhanced the care experience. In other words, the members experience a better appointment in some venues with their physicians. Many physicians have also shared with us that they get to know their patients better 
through the video visits because they can see the homes of the patients, their family members, and even pets. And these are very important aspects of our patients' lives. And so, especially in mental health, we're seeing similar benefits where there is less stigma associated with a telephone or video visit with a therapist or psychiatrist. So I think the innovation that we've seen has been incredible. Going forward, we'll be working to find the most effective and efficient blend of face-to-face and telehealth and video and phone visits that benefit our patients the most, as well as our physicians. And as we continue to pivot towards a virtual world, many of these services that have been in place after the pandemic as a choice for our patients, we will also need to make sure that our physicians are not overwhelmed by technology. And there are unintended consequences to both physicians and potentially patients as a result of a heavily intense virtual care model. And we got to be on the lookout for that and on the lookout for our physicians' well-being so that we have some approaches that hopefully prevent some of these unintended consequences of having to be at a computer or a laptop all day long and not really getting up. For example, one really important one is just the isolation of not actually seeing patients in a face-to-face fashion, which is what many physicians really love. And that's what provides them the joy in their practices, interaction with their patients in a face-to-face fashion. I believe that KP is uniquely situated to be able to provide uh, the architecture for what that future of healthcare delivery model can and should look like. And at the same time, we need to really be on the lookout for the unintended consequences that will come up. And when they do, we need to be flexible enough to pivot and fix those issues that we face as a result of our virtual first and digital first strategy. That's great guidance. I want to continue on this path of innovation. Innovation is a cornerstone at Kaiser Permanente. It always has been in our DNA. And it's even more vital now as we adapt to a shifting healthcare landscape. What are some of the innovative approaches and initiatives within your organization that stand out in your mind? That's a great question. There are so many. And I think our program in general, because of being integrated in a coordinated system, enables us to be partners and work closely with our community to take care of our patients. And there have been many innovations that have gone into place and many, many more to come. We have e-visits, we have a very exciting virtual platform, chats. A lot of the innovations that have happened have been as a result of the investment of our organization in these innovations. And one of the earlier ones was the electronic health record, which the organization invested in some 20 years ago. And now we are doing exciting things such as e-visits and chats and many other things. So, for example, with e-visits in 2019, in Southern California, we did 30,000 e-visits. That number increased to 2 million in 2020. And so far in 2021, more than 3 million e-visits have taken place, which is a very, very exciting prospect for our organization. There are several other current initiatives that we're working on. A couple I'd like to highlight are, for example, the Polaris Project, closed-loop, end-to-end virtual ecosystem for members to receive quick and convenient 
specialty trained musculoskeletal care. And this new model was piloted in a single medical center, and we will continue to pilot it and test it and grow it and scale it. And we will test it on a greater scale in the coming months. And the larger vision for a project such as Polaris, which involves mainly musculoskeletal issues, is to use it as a template to redesign care for the virtual ecosystem for multiple specialties beyond musculoskeletal, and at the same time cementing Kaiser Permanente's position in the marketplace as an organization that provides patients with tomorrow's healthcare, the vision for tomorrow, and make it happen today. So another one is the virtual urgent care. This is also very exciting that the traditional urgent care model is being challenged. And I think we're going into virtual venues with it. And we've recently introduced a urgent telehealth care with 24-7 access to video visits and phone visits, as well as text chats with a care provider. I thought it was so critically important to have a coherent strategy as it relates to transformation and innovation. And I went ahead and hired an assistant executive medical director for care transformation for the Southern California Permanente Medical Group, Dr. Kang Nguyen, who just started. However, it will be his responsibility to make sure that all of our transformation and innovation efforts are under one umbrella and making sure that we are all rowing in the same direction with these very exciting and challenging endeavors as we move forward. Outstanding. And that is a demonstration of an extraordinary commitment. You and I uh, both work in the corporate or the regional offices, but as I've looked around Kaiser Permanente for the last 30 years, I found that the greatest breakthroughs, the greatest innovation have in fact come from every corner of Kaiser Permanente. And it's the individual doctor or department working together that finds a unique pathway or a more innovative approach to delivering care or treating a specific ailment that is really breakthrough and our ability to identify it, to capture it as transformative, and then to spread it is unique and important. So I'm delighted at the role that you've created for Kang Win, and I think it's going to pay uh, profound dividends in the years ahead. I really appreciate you highlighting that very point. And as brilliant of administrators and leaders that we have in the organization, The truly transformative ideas, in my experience, come from those who are closest to the care. And I experienced this early on in my career at the Baldwin Park facility in Southern California, where the IQM, or the Inpatient Quality Management System, which has really re-engineered and redesigned inpatient care so that quality as the forefront of what we do each and every day was initiated. And that initiated from folks that were closest to the care delivery. So we've already touched upon some unbelievable change and advancements happening in medicine right now. To wrap things up, I'd like to look ahead and hear your thoughts on what's next. How will innovation shape the future of medicine? But innovation and transformation have to be at the forefront of our minds looking into the future and We have to redesign, re-engineer, and reinvent the care delivery model of the future. The pandemic drove increased awareness of the need to create a more sustainable post-pandemic 
healthcare system and to do so on a larger scale. And we're also seeing across the country a shift to a value-based care model. And with the use of the virtual technologies to center treatment around the patient, those are the lessons we have learned. And innovation and transformation have to be our tools to get to that stage. One of the other things we learned is we have to figure out how to reduce healthcare disparities as we innovate and re-engineer the future healthcare model. And to have that in mind and part of the formula and look at all future healthcare delivery models through innovation and transformation from the lens of reducing healthcare disparities as we saw throughout the pandemic, those disparities were highlighted even more. And we simply cannot continue to do things the same way we've always done them. We need to innovate, we need to transform, and we need to keep healthcare disparities at the forefront of everything that we do to reduce those disparities to the best of our abilities. You know, I love that you highlighted the importance of healthcare disparities, whether it's ethnic, socioeconomic, or even just the simple zip code that somebody lives in. If we can solve and achieve equal treatment, equal outcomes, we in fact do transform healthcare in a very profound way. So Dr. Davidoff, I'm grateful for your focus and this being a priority of your leadership and your administration. I think you're gonna have a massive impact on not just Kaiser Permanente, but on healthcare through this important prioritization. We could go on for hours, and I genuinely have enjoyed talking with you and getting to know you better and hearing about your childhood and your vision for the future. I've had the privilege of working with 25 executive medical directors and CEOs in healthcare, and I've watched you enter your role during one of the more difficult moments. And I, I know you're a big sports fan, and you know I, I have to think of you in the I was picking sports analogies, I would say like a Tom Brady or a Kobe Bryant that just shows up and does their job in such an extraordinary way that others want to surround them and rise to the occasion. So Dr. Davidoff, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for all that you do. I look forward to the next decade being by your side. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for the kind words. And it's been my exceptional privilege to be able to work with you throughout the last several months, and I look forward to many, many years of working with you and with all of our colleagues. And today has been an exceptional privilege to be able to spend some time with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Davidoff, for taking the time to be on the podcast and share your insight. I'm so grateful to work by your side during these times. We're very fortunate to have you leading us forward into a bright future. And thanks once again to all of our listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next time. That's our show for today. My thanks to our guest and to you for listening. Be sure to catch up with other episodes of our podcast by visiting Permanente.org or by subscribing on iTunes or SoundCloud. We'll see you next time. The opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of Kaiser Permanente, the Permanente Medical Groups, or the Permanente Federation.